Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 36 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Money in Philadelphia on the east coast of the USA, and I'm joined by Chris Lawson in London, UK. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Doing great. The weather's good, feeling good, energized, and ready to go. Good. I can I can actually say similar over here today. Good weather. It does make a difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. But I, I think the topic for us as well is is inspiring. And so we're going to continue to to build on things we've talked about in a prior episode. Uh, last week, we shared the realization of this big reset that's happening, and it's going to set us in a new direction. We just have to face that new reality. And if, for example, you're a parent right now, it's probably the first time in, hi- in history in industrialized society where you're expected to be a parent, an educator, and a professional all at the same time. And you're kind of raising a family and doing all that simultaneously. So we know things are different, and they're going to continue to be that way. Simply put, the shift is here to stay. The percentage of remote work will increase and we're seeing more and more companies actually just declare we're just going to do that permanently or do that for longer. We as individuals and teams have to really adapt to the changes that are going on in the environment and how we stand out, how we impact us in the workplace and get our points across and give and receive recognition. And the other thing we talked about last week was How we actually do adapt is critical because employees, customers, and consumers basically all voting right now with their feet and making significant choices and different choices to what we've done in the past. So in this show, we're going to break things down into the key areas that are going to shape this new future. We're going to spend more time on practical steps and actions that you can apply. And you can apply these on your company culture, how you lead, who to hire now, and think about how you plan in the future. Yeah, Sam, I mean, the interesting thing is that, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's already happening in a way, isn't it? We're already sort of having to plan for the new future. There's a phrase crossing the Rubicon, which refers to Caesar making a move on attacking Rome, um, you know, looking at the point where there was no way back after that, um, something that was unprecedented. Mm. And, I, and I think the same will now happen with workspaces, and I think we need to appreciate what that will mean. You know, Twitter announced that everyone can work from home forever. Google announced that everyone can work from home until the end of the year, and then we'll see. We're really starting to reimagine work. So as you say, let's get down to the practicalities of what that means. It's going to affect culture, group work, creativity, disciplinaries, recruitment, um, creating inspiration, what rewards look like, the list is endless, really. Um, so let's start with a, the current crisis and the situation we find ourselves in and think about that in a post-pandemic world. Um, mm-hmm. if, we, if we think back to that CEO we were talking about last week, new in and managing a business in lockdown or the junior manager trying to make a mark, I think the real question is how you tackle that. Um, you have to break... The mold. You have to get um, that sort of 
away from that out of sight, out of mind situation, sort out your own multi-channel contact strategy for a start. And we'll talk more about that a bit later on. You can't spend all days on Zoom call after Zoom call. I think everyone feels exactly the same way at the moment. So I think a dispersed communication strategy will, will be the only way to survive. But when you can effectively get more people in a room all of the time, the question is, should you? You know, so I've been on Zoom calls with maybe sort of 50, 60, 70 people. And you sort of think, wow, that's tying up a lot of people's mm. time. And I think people just think, yeah, let's open it up to everyone because now we don't have to worry about our physical space. We can get everyone on board. Um, well-being, I think, is also part of this as well. It's going to be the name of the game. I think that's financial well-being as well as customer well-being as well as employee well-being. Um and you can't just think about business numbers as the rest, as that won't work anymore. One of those mm. stakeholder groups that I've just mentioned will vote with their feet, as you said, if you don't take it seriously. Yeah. So as you just teeing up nicely, we're going to look at a few of them. So if you, as you listen to this show, you probably want to start typing or get your pens ready because <laughs> we're going to cover off some key areas that we think are critical. Leadership, the workforce of the future. We're going to talk about culture. Think about recruiting and staffing. When do you physically meet and how do you do that? And thinking about future planning and contingency planning. So, Chris, let's get going on this. And why don't you kick off with some perspectives on leadership? Okay. So in terms of crisis, I mean, we, we covered it uh, a week ago in, or two ago about sort of the need for compassion. But, but another key characteristic is strong need, leaders need to prioritize their goals and it's about clarity, communication, and understanding. So, so let, let's almost get down to our action point list as well, Sam. It's not about setting out a menu of priorities, which all amount to being equal. You have to be clear. Um, second action point, lead with empathy. Mm -hmm. This is not about black and white. It's about including the team in decision-making, but being clear who makes a final decision. Point three there, communicate it, but focus has to be on understanding. Um, the emphasis has to be on what the listener takes in, especially in a situation that's volatile and unpredictable. Um, yeah, I read somewhere about the 10 by 10 by 10 rule mm -hmm. here, Sam, in terms of say something 10 times in 10 different ways for people to retain 10%, which sounds a bit depressing in a way, but I think the, the important point is is making sure that you're concentrating on what is the message and how is that going to be retained. Mm. Um, next point, slightly contradict, contradictory in a way, but it was it's fascinating. I, I was reading about the, the Queen said of a monarchy, if it's not seen, it will be forgotten. And the same applies to leadership. You've got to be present. And, and that requires a multi-channel contact strategy. I think it's, it's, no, um, it's no coincidence that actually at this time now that we, we've... Um, We've seen in the UK more of a queen in terms of like state broadcasts um, than, than we did probably the, the previous year. Mm. Um, I think another important point, which we covered before, so we won't dwell on it too much this time, show empathy, collect and spread the stories, find your own stories within the organization and share them. Again, really important stories inspire. Um, not something that we're, we're spend much time on this week. We can, we've clearly covered that in many of the podcasts before. But, uh, but an uh, important 
aspects of leadership there, I think, Sam. Yeah, and we, let's keep going. Let's add to the leadership. We, we're starting with that. We're leading with that for, for a reason, for a purpose. It's, for us, high priority. So I'm going to build on the list, not duplicate things. I'm going to start off with, as a leader, as an organization, certainly focused on trust and avoid surveillance. Uh, it's definitely a call out to the employers, which are actually using tracking devices and software to to just keep an eye on their employees. You've really got to trust people and treat them as adults and create that environment where that's um, an expectation that they're doing the right thing versus some sort of invigilation approach. And so that's for me is, is definitely a key one to start off with. I think when you're thinking about this as an organization, as a leadership team, maybe you're a smaller business, you don't have a team, you are the team, but think about a back to work team or a back to work plan. In larger organizations, it's going to be a cross-functional group. You're going to have digital health, IT, other functions, architecture, design, but just have a, a team that you can look at, point to, are responsible for, for, for leading you back to work. And then think about also in terms of as you lead, which are the critical skills and which are the critical roles? And you need to redefine what critical skills mean in today's world and what are the critical roles. So it's not going back to the old playbook and starting there, but you're actually going to think about the path to this new future and the skills and the types of people and the leadership qualities that they need. The other thing I would add to this list is designing your organization and leading from a perspective of resilience versus efficiency in getting it done. For a lot of organizations, they've been very focused on cutting costs and thinking about how you can get the most out of people. But now you're going to be spending more time building up people, developing people and growing them. And then when I think about leadership, I would also look externally to your customers, to your consumers, and to your stakeholders. Think about the brand or services that really help you discover new opportunities. Be externally focused as much as you are internally focused. Okay, good points there, Sam. I think we need to be realistic that there, there's going to be a period of adjustment. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge workforce that will be in a prime position to take advantage here. The, the armies of people already working from home, the tech communities used to working on collaborative software and the like. This isn't all a, a brave new world. And, and no doubt there's a lot of people sat in their home offices going, well, I've been doing this for years. Um, so if we think about culture, I think uh, an important point is around learning from our elders. There was a report by Egon Zender that looked at how people reacted in a crisis. There was a, a leader in charge during the, the um, SARS outbreak that, that um, said that one of the most important things that they did was to make sure to work closer with younger members of the team who had less experience in how to deal with a crisis and, and work out how that was doing. So I think that idea of a buddy system is important. Um, second thing, it'd be responsive, put people first. We've said it before, but it's, first re uh, it's worth restating and conveying that trust. And again, in that same interview with Egon Zender, um, a leader gave his opinion that during a crisis, you have to focus on the physical safety of your people first and worry about collateral damage and the P&L next, as that is the most important asset in a business. And that, I think, is also an interesting thing where it applies equally to family businesses as well as it does for conglomerates. I was reading a um, something that was in the Harvard Business Review about how multi-generational families benefit from 
um, a long memory where actually the history of the company has seen many crises, mm-hmm. whether that's recession or, or, or whatever. And that can actually act as a beacon of hope when you sort of think, well, generations have dealt with this before, so we'll be able to deal with that as well. Um, and uh, one sort of uh, famous family business had a motto where it said, it depends on them not just doing the things right, but do the right things. As a, and that was a motto um, that they used. And, and I thought that, that really rings true to a lot of what we said before, actually. Yeah, great. Similarly, yeah, on, on one recent video call, the chair of a prominent family um, who was in their fourth generation, you know, so this is a uh, family business that's been going through um, sort of many, many different sort of situations, said, our priorities right now are principled and clear. The health of our people come first. We need to hope for the best, but plan for the worst. We must ensure that our cash reserves are adequate. We must support the most vulnerable internally and externally. We must be agile in our decision-making. We can't take anything for granted, and we mustn't forget that crisis brings um, opportunity. Yeah, And I thought that pretty much sums up everything that we've been saying over the last few weeks as well. Yeah, and I'll build on that. And there's a theme that I I can take from that. It's just this idea of humanization of workers, of employees, of your your stakeholders versus dehumanization and, and just keeping that to the forefront. Throughout this experience, it's how you treat your employees, how the culture you create to support them and how you help foster and facilitate partnerships and connectedness. connectedness. And there's a recent example of Airbnb, which in the US laid off 25% of its of its staff. And a lot of plaudits, again, we talked about that, that Airbnb before and how they did that, how transparent they were. So this, and nothing was leaked because they made it very transparent. They, they were very open and they were generous to US standards in terms of the benefits. But it was very much about ensuring that the culture that they they are aspiring for is actually how they treat people in this environment. There's also a cultural shift that goes to the values and the hearts and and of the minds of the organization, how you actually reward and recognize people and doing it in an inclusive way. Now there's more opportunity to be very employee centric. And when you're rewarding or recognizing employees, it, it's true that what they value might be just some some way to support them, be it a dog walker, for example, or perhaps when times are appropriate to have someone to clean their home. But what what do they actually value that really helps them um, thrive, helps reward and recognize them? So it's not the standard $50, $50 or $75 or £100 gift certificate. Do something and, and design it with all employees in mind, especially now most of them are remote. What What is going to help them? The other thing is just continue to build a culture that supports people's physical and mental health. And again, in the current environment, it was it's ever more important, but it was true beforehand. How do we support people, how they, how they are th- able to thrive and what resources, support, policies and practices are in place? I think you're also going to, again, look externally and you're going to need to invest more time and effort into consumer behavior, customer behaviors. What are the new insights that are emerging? How can you tap into them? Uh, Are people more or less bored or are they frustrated and and lonely, restless? How do you support the the consumers out there and how, how they behave over time? And make sure you're designing and building your products and experience to that. But also you're going to build a culture which is going to 
create, I believe, a top tier of employers. So the companies now, people are going to be judging them. And this culture stuff, how you treat people and how you operate and how you actually live into it is going to be a driver of whether you accept a role with a company in the future. So you've got to think about the mid and long-term impact of what you do and how you do it, because people are going to be leaving or joining based on what they know and seen during this difficult time. Yeah, so that's such a good point. A bit, that of a, last one. a bit of a close out on, on culture there. And I'll, I'll move to rec- thinking about how you recruit and staff. And again, it, it kind of builds on what we just talked about before. And for me, uh, in this space of recruiting, bringing people on board, hiring people, one very pragmatic step is to start with the lists, the sources, the candidates who have been laid off or let go or downsized, whatever the expression is. And especially in the marketing field, there's been a huge impact on data and analytics, customer focused people, product marketers. I mentioned Airbnb, but there's an Air alumni list where there's a huge um, list of people who've been affected. And there's a starting point for who to tap into. Uber, again, another company which has had some significant losses of people in terms of um, you know, reducing their, their workforce. So start with known lists, public lists, where you can actually support people who are in um, immediate need. And folks like Reid Hoffman, who was a founder of LinkedIn, is actually promoting that heavily. There's other platforms. Work Reduce is another platform that helps media, media agencies and media buyers. Again, a lot of people are now starting to really support and offer their networks and infrastructure. The other thing which is very practical to staffing and recruiting is as a recruiter, an employer, and a potential person looking, think about the questions you ask and the questions you're being asked. You're probably now going to get a question about how you handled, what did you do during the the, the pandemic? What what did you learn about yourself? So just be prepared to tell the stories, real stories that are relevant to you and also to the organization and how that is going to be um, important going forward. I think more vulnerability will be needed in these stories because you can't really gloss over the impact it's had. So those are a couple of things I would think about from the recruiting side, Chris. Yeah, good. Uh, do, do you know what? I was sort of researching in terms of like recruitment if you're a remote-only business and and also sort of disciplinaries. Bottom line is it's pretty much the same. You, of course, you're doing it over video, but uh, you might have to extenuate a sort of a few few different reactions like for example if you're looking at disciplinary it's important to make sure that someone's not in a public computer and they've got privacy and you you have to probably ask about that rather than actually observe it but the process is the same i think it comes back to that point there's a lot of organizations that have been doing this for many years so it may be new to some of us but um there's some pretty much standard practice out there and and it's not that much different really okay then sam next next one up let's look at a physical space yeah as i think about that it's a bit tricky to to have a a sort of a holistic view on that but we are seeing data and surveys and and research saying that that people working from home right now are more likely to experience stress and more likely to be experiencing anxiety, especially in the current climate. And yes, that will improve in the future, but we've really got to ensure that we think about how we design for interaction. And it's hard to talk purely about physical because there's going to be a digital or a remote component. And so this human connection could be resolved by thinking about this concept of peer coaching and how you scale human connection. And peer coaching isn't mentorship. It's this idea of colleagues helping each other to help 
find their own answers to the challenges they're working through. And so you can really design your organization and make it part of how you interact. And yes, you can do that in person, but also the technology can can help you do that. And the other thing about it is just to be mindful and proactive and and purposeful. So you're going to continue to communicate, to network and build community and, and host events. Again, you can do that in the digital space, but think about how you're going to continue to do that in face-to-face events. But don't only abdicate doing that till the next time you could go to a conference or meet up physically. So be doing that community building to be creating that connection and using the technology and platforms in the digital world, as well as emulating that in the physical world. And now going forward in the future, I see the opportunity whenever you design a conference or an event or interaction, there's offline and online components absolutely baked in from the start. So people can can do that pre, during and post. It's not one or the other. It's a blended approach. Yeah, good point. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Although there may be, and, and I think for, I suspect for some people, there'll be no use for offices at all going forward. I mean, you certainly wouldn't want to be in the commercial real estate business at the moment, I don't think. However, the need for physical contact still remains. Um, so you, you still need to think about how people can attend work for um, meetings or training sessions that cannot be done virtually. How do they do that regular check-in with their bosses and managers? But I, what I do expect, though, is is much more hygiene factors. Excuse for my pun there. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's office buildings or conferences, doors are going to be automatic instead of push and pull handles to to avoid germs. Um, you're going to find that offices are going to get rid of crowded open plan designs. Um, again, that that will sort of come out. I think ventilation systems we covered before um, and then so sort of, you know just so sort of straightforward sort of hygiene policies are going to be much more in place and much more of a fall of what we've been talking about that um, and I imagine that even sick leave policies are going to be much much mm. more stringent to avoid people coming into the offices in in any shape or form there's going to be a, a bit of a halo effect there isn't it even even past covid I would see so, so this is my action point for this section, Sam. Start putting more money, not less, into the physical environment, but recognize that this might refer to your employees' home environment as well as their, their mm. what we would have seen as their work environment. Just one point, the, the, um, the office chair, if I've learned anything over these, uh, these last sort of, uh, period of time is the value of an office chair. And, and and you you looked at it on the, the um, balance sheet and you go, my God, are we paying that much for office chairs? <laughs> Compared to my uh, sort of dining room table chair that I've been using, it, that would be an absolute godsend by now. Yeah, great points there, Chris. And as we're trying to tie this all together, the last point I would build on that, especially if you're a marketer in that creative advertising, marketing, innovation space is ensure that you have some resources fight like anything to retain resources to look to the future in terms of planning and strategy you have to have not all of your resources focused on the now you've got to have one percent three percent five percent some time resource effort thinking about future planning and the the long-term nature of your business that does mean looking seven to ten years into the future and how that impacts the world, the market, the consumers and the products you produce. And guess what? That foresight would have given you some potential of 
the, the current environment happening and how you might adapt and adjust for it. So you've got to continue to do that. And when you're thinking about foresight, there's a, such a great discipline there. There's lots of research and books and um, thought leaders out there which talk about this, the discipline of foresight or the discipline of futurism. And really, you're going to be focused on what are the areas which aren't, which aren't going to be fads or cliches, but they're going to be areas and signals that are going to be growth opportunities, major changes in the marketplace. And so spend time, effort and resources on the future foresight as a key component. Remember that this sudden change might actually happen again. Uh, and I was re doing some, some research and there's a quote about, we have some momentum behind us right now, so we need to capitalize on that while we can. But you're, you're capitalizing on today because you're also looking into the future. And thirdly, I would say, actually think about creating powerful content. Get your visitors excited about your brand, your product, and your proposition. Think about blogs and webinars and seminars, and especially if you're a food and drink brand, you can do that. Any other brand can do that. So creating content, publishing content, and executing that is, again, something that's external focused, that is going to be providing a service, but also thinking ahead and to create demand and to create engagement in you, your brand, your organization, and what you offer and how you do that. Yeah, excellent points there. And, and I think just before we um, close out, um, one of the things that sort of does strike me about all of this, again, we like to bring it back to the sort of the junior marketing execs that are starting out as well as the CMO. And, and the, the bottom line is, again, it's about adaptability here. It's, it's um, making sure that you're conscious of your environment, conscious of what you want to achieve and what environment you want to work on. Um, but also being adaptable as well. That's as being as comfortable in your home environment as it will be out and about in a, in a work environment. You know, it's going to change for all of us in some shape or form, but for the better, I think. So, Sam, why don't you give us a quick summary and then we can uh, close up this episode? Yeah, Chris, this week's show is really, really tricky just to land on three things. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to start off by saying the first one is all about communication. You talked about the 10 by 10 by 10, which was you have to say something, communicate something 10 times in 10 different ways to only land 10% on of the, so communication is key. The second one I'd say is having a plan or having a team in place. Now for a smaller organization, you're probably more likely to have a plan. A larger organization, you can have a cross-functional team, but that's all about the leadership in place to ensure the plan or the team is successful. And thirdly, I'd say, it's about being able to reprioritize, to really be mindful of your blind spots and your biases and be open to engaging with other people because you don't necessarily have all the answers. Those are, for me, the three things to take away from this week's show. Yeah, great stuff there, Sam. I think I think you did well summarizing that in three. Um, I'd like to set you a nice challenge. So episode 37, we're going to be looking at sustainable marketing. And I want to look at that in two ways, Sam. I want to think about what's ethical and what's actually is sustainable. You know, we think back to the 2008 world crash and the lessons that were learned there then and the companies that are still going strong coming out of that as well as what the new future looks like. It's going to be a good episode, Sam. Absolutely, Chris. An exciting show. Another packed show with great content that you can put into practice. So we got to get going on it. So until next week, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. 
If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe, or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment, or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.